I'm Evan Bray. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Well, the journey continues to bring closure to a province that felt the gravity of the, the, the heavy situation that evolved through the James Smith Cree Nation massacre that happened in 22. Of course, we know 11 people were killed, 17 others seriously injured. When Miles Sanderson went on that rampage, September the 4th, 2022, and then a few days before he was eventually taken into police custody on September the 7th, we sat through a three-week inquest that happened about three weeks ago in Malfort, and that was really focused on the death of all of those individuals who were killed on James Smith Cree Nation and in the community of Weldon. That was brought about by Chief Coroner Clive Wayhill. In a sense, it was a discretionary inquest, but one that he decided was important to have to give the province a sense of understanding about what unfolded that day and a sense of closure. And I think it did help with the community. It helped with the province, for sure, to understand. Now, this week, the mandatory inquest into the death of Miles Sanderson happened because don't remember or don't forget, Miles died while in police custody. There was a bit of a police chase that happened. He was eventually taken off the road, taken into custody, and shortly after, he died. And as a result of being in police custody after dying, that's why an inquest had to happen. So this inquest has been rolling out in Saskatoon this week, and our own senior reporter, Lara Fominoff, has been there. She's joined us every day without fail, and we've got Lara on the phone now. Lara, thanks for being here. We finally got to the end of the inquest, but it was it was a long day yesterday. Absolutely. It started at 9.30. The jury was charged, uh, given directions at about 12.30. They came back at about 6.15 yesterday evening, quickly delivered um, their uh, findings, and there are four recommendations, and then for us reporters and so forth, it was a much longer night, you know, filing our stories and getting everything for this morning. So it's about 11 o'clock. Last yeah, night. I knew it would be a long day, and, and uh, thus I didn't get you to come on with us at 8.30 this morning. We bumped you a little later in the show, so thanks for being here. So let's let's go back to tomorrow morning where you finished uh, those that were testifying. Let's pick up, I think the testimony when we left off was when EMS had just arrived at the hospital with Miles Sanderson. But, of course, he'd already gone into this uh, state of medical emergency. So let's talk about the testimony we heard about when they got to the hospital. Sure. So uh, there were two final witnesses yesterday. The first one was the RUH, Royal University Hospital, emergency room doctor who saw Miles Sanderson. That was William uh, Pappenfuss. And basically, he didn't stay on the stand for too long testifying. Um, he said once Miles Sanderson, the trauma team was alerted that uh, somebody with potential injuries would be coming in to the hospital. The trauma team got ready, got everything um, uh, ahead of time before Miles got there. They found out then who was coming to the hospital. And when they got there, um, they sort of had an exchange of information between the advanced care paramedics who told Dr. Papenipus and the nurses there that uh, they had given Miles Sanderson six doses of epinephrine. He'd had adrenaline. They'd had him intubated. They were doing compressions on him throughout the journey uh, from the Hague area all the way into Saskatoon. Uh, And once he was admitted to hospital and put on a bed, they basically took his blood pressure, uh, tried to find a pulse in his groin and in his neck, they could not find one. They did an ultrasound, hooked him up to uh, life-saving uh, some machines and so forth. Uh, 
but they couldn't get that heartbeat back. And a very short time later, he was declared dead at 4.39 p.m. And that was uh, essentially the testimony from the ER doctor. Uh, now, after that, there was the post-mortem behavioral report that was very interesting from uh, Dr. Matt Logan. Uh, and he uh, did the post-mortem reports as well on some of the victims in the previous um, in the previous uh, inquest. He basically went through the entire criminal history for Miles Sanderson and through his life uh, and noticed some very startling things about him. He outlined the social history, his educational history. Sanderson uh, partially got to, through grade 10. He was, a, as a student, expelled and suspended many times. He had a very unstable childhood, a lot of abuse, uh, went from his mom's to his dad's to his grandparents' places, sporadic employment, never really held down a job for any length of time. Uh, he also, as of 2021, had 59 convictions. That's according to a parole board report, and dozens of them were for violent offenses. He started abusing drugs, meth, cocaine, pot, and alcohol at the age of 13. His drug of choice was cocaine, and he used it, quote, considerably. Um, he had uh, depression, anxiety was diagnosed with those, had uh, ADHD, and he also uh, tested Miles Sanderson according to uh, a psychology test uh, on whether he was he displayed psychopathic tendencies. And the answer to that was yes, absolutely. In fact, he scored in the 94th percentile wow. for being a psychopath. As well. Senior reporter Lara Fominoff, who joins us, has been following and at the inquest every day this week into the death of Miles Sanderson. So this criminal psychologist, Dr. Matt Logan, uh, takes all of those things you just talked about, his upbringing, some of the challenges that he's had, uh, some of the things that were stacked against them, some of the stuff that he took on himself and, and did in terms of drugs and crimes. He takes all of that and he comes out with some very interesting assessments and, and he talked about Miles being a mission-oriented offender. Can you talk to that, Laura? Absolutely. He said Miles Sanderson was cool. He was calm and in control. He appeared hypo-emotional. He was very callous towards his victims. He was a very dangerous person. And he described him as an offender who did not want to be stopped. His assessment was that during this police chase, um, when he stole the vehicle, he did not harm the woman in Waka nor the man on the first arrow First Nation because the, he didn't have any previous negative association with them. The people he was going after were those from uh, the terror squad gang, uh, gang and also um, people that he had a negative association with. So those people didn't do anything to, him, that, to Sanderson, so he kind of left them alone, basically. If he wanted to go out in a blaze of glory. So he called it suicide by cop. He likely would have done so, according to uh, Dr. Logan. Um, he could have run into somebody on the highway. He could have run into an officer or done something, but he didn't do that. Instead, when he was pulled off the highway, um, he had a lot of cocaine with him, and basically the thought process he believed was, you know, why waste good cocaine? So he took all of that cocaine. Had he not been stopped, though. Um, his mission, he believed, was to come to Saskatoon and to finish off to kill his ex-partner, Vanessa Burns, and anybody else that was on his hit list. So for RCMP, they got the 
um, command to take him out by whatever means they could. Uh, and they believed it was a very dangerous situation for the public if he got to Saskatoon. And according to what Dr. Logan said, they were absolutely right. Um, so he, you know, once he was stopped, the thought process, the doctor said was, you know, I might as well go out the way I want to go out and I can control this. So I'm just going to take all this cocaine because it's here. And, you know, he had death ambivalence. He didn't care if he died. And if he died, so be it. Senior reporter Laura Fominoff at the inquest into the death of Miles Sanderson. Vanessa Burns, the ex of Miles Sanderson, was there, was actually spoke with the media off and on through the week. I can't imagine what her reaction was listening to criminal psychologist Dr. Matt Logan say that Miles was likely coming for her next. She, uh, yes, she sat through a lot of this. You know, when we spoke with her, she said she believed Miles Anderson had no remorse, that if it was a relief that he was gone, um, that she believed if he had not been gone, if he'd gone to jail or if he was released again, that he'd be coming for her. She knew about this. She knew that, you know, he thought he, she believed he'd be stalking her still or he'd be coming after her in some way. And, and according to the psychologist, she was absolutely right. Um, so that's how important it was to to get him off the road and to stop him. Laura, let's now look at the recommendations. The uh, the coroner that was uh, presiding over this, Robert Kennedy, charged the jury. You mentioned they took about five and a half hours. They came back with both the cause of death and recommendations. What did they say? Uh, the jury came back with the cause of death. That was acute cocaine toxicity. And they said they had three choices. They could determine that it was a suicide, that it was accidental, or undetermined, they, that they, you know, there was no, you know, they couldn't figure out either way. And they came back with the determination that Miles Sanderson died of an accidental acute cocaine overdose. Now, they had four recommendations. One of them was for Saskatoon police, um, and three were for RCMP. They're quite generalized. Uh, but the Saskatoon police, were, they asked them to consider establishing a dedicated team uh, tasked with arresting people who are subject to outstanding warrants. So at the time, before these murders occurred, Saskatoon police uh, had Miles Sanderson's outstanding arrest warrant, and he was living in Saskatoon on Preston Avenue. Um, he was supposed to be living with his father. There were a number of checks done on him, according to testimony from Saskatoon police, uh, but sometimes they couldn't locate him, and they just didn't have enough resources. The gang and uh, drug unit are generally asked to do some of this stuff, but that's not their primary responsibility, and there really is nobody who has that particular job of checking on those who have outstanding warrants. And at the time, they had over, they had about 1,500 just in Saskatoon. Yeah, yeah. And then there was three recommendations for the RCMP, Laura, as well. And, and they were, most of them were around techniques of getting a vehicle like this off the road. Exactly. The the pit maneuver that uh, Constable Heidi Marshall employed, uh, she was not trained in that, by the way. <laughs> she, uh, and, you know, it was remarkable. Many times that, that was said during the uh, testimony that she was able to complete this maneuver so successfully, not have any injuries or really any damage to either her vehicle or to uh, the stolen vehicle. So uh, the, the consideration for RCMP to enhance driver training, including the pit maneuver, um, also to review their policies in high-speed pursuits um, in the interest of safety to everybody, police and the general public, and even suspects as well. 
and also that they consider implementing some more training um, when they're extracting somebody from a vehicle or for some from from somewhere uh, when they're trying to arrest someone and and in the middle of a takedown. So you know. I was just going to say, you know, those four recommendations that came from the jury, they they all make sense to me, Uh, a dedicated team to deal with warrants and then better training and understanding of how to deal with people in a high-speed pursuit and and implementing some policy and training there. But knowing that the purpose of an inquest is to try and not only identify the cause of death, but find ways to take steps to prevent further death from happening, these, these seem quite reactionary to me, Laura. Um, I guess that um, <laughs> all I can uh, I tell you is, is what the jury came back with. And there were no recommendations directed towards, you know, preventing um, this, you know, the way Miles Sanderson died or anything to that effect. Right. Um, so they were all recommendations for police and their techniques yeah. and the way they went about things. But, you know, the family, um, the, the family... The families and those, the leadership on the James Smith Cree Nation, they kind of, um, they have their own initiatives now that they feel will try to help prevent something like this from happening in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I understand as well that the jury can only make recommendations based on the testimony they hear. And so they heard testimony about the the pursuit of the vehicle, the stopping of the vehicle. So it stands to reason they would come out. But I do think that this still gives, generally speaking, uh, leaders in a bunch of different areas chance to reflect and figure out ways that we can meaningfully uh, make some changes that try and prevent, you know, the cycle of trauma that uh, was reported and testified to through this case to prevent that from happening and ultimately manifesting in a in a tragedy like this. Before I let you go, Laura, uh, one one other thing I couldn't help but notice is a lot of relationship building at something like this. We've only got a minute left. Clive Wayhill was given a painting and a thank you. I saw the officer that conducted the pit maneuver hugging family members of Miles Sanderson. That had to be part of the healing that happened. It absolutely was. Um, and yesterday as well, um, Tim Howerluck, who was also in a part of the um, one of the uh, the the legal advisors and corners uh, in this inquest. He was also presented with uh, a beautiful painting from the James Smith Cree Nation. There was a lot of relationship building. And, you know, Evan, one thing that really, really stuck out to me, Eddie Head, who was a representative for the Sanderson family and who asked questions at this, he was asked by us, you know, do you have any resentment towards Miles Sanderson? And he said, sorry, he said, no, they cannot have resentment because if they want to heal, mm-hmm. they have to forgive him. And if they cannot forgive them, then they cannot heal. Pretty powerful stuff for sure. Laura, you did a great job following this. Thank you for being diligent and joining us every single day and giving us some closure on this important inquest. Thank you, Evan. Anytime. Senior reporter Lara Fominoff and the Miles Sanderson inquest, which wrapped up just after supper last night. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. And we were just chatting here, Frank and I are just chatting off air about the fact that I really do um, have a lot of respect for those RCMP officers that were, you know, able to do that maneuver, get the vehicle off the road on into the ditch and get miles out of the vehicle. 
through that and because of the in-car camera and the video and the audio, there was really a, an upfront seat for people that were at the inquest, the jury, the family members, the community members from James Smith Cree Nation to see the work that those RCMP officers did and the professionalism, like how they talked to him. This is a guy who had just killed 11 people, wounded 17 others, and the fact that they they showed him respect they were, as soon as they knew he was going into a medical emergency, uh, it was quite evident through the testimony, the care, and even watching the video, the care that was exercised to try and get him the medical assistance that he needed. I think the, the family members and certainly the community from James Smith Cree Nation were able to see that. And then those exchanges that happened after the inquest was over, you could see some of the news stories sh- featured hugs that were happening and handshakes that were happening between the RCMP and all of those family and community members. Is uh, that's That, to me, is such an important part of the inquest. Well, we've mentioned it a couple of times. The 2024 Montana's Briar is underway today in Regina. One of the main organizers will be joining us just after lunch to talk about all the great events that are planned, including a big night tonight. That's coming up next on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.